good morning, everyone. Back to normal fireside chats here where uh, Tesseract and, and its reaching members just kind of sit around and talk things innovation throughout the Air Force. Today, I got uh, Dakota and Nash. Uh, I won't say last second throw together fireside chat, but definitely <laughs> not a long-term planned one. So uh, I'm not going to pretend that we have a whole agenda for us to discuss today, but I'll shoot it over to you guys and let you introduce yourselves and uh, what your involvement is, is in the innovation space and with Tesseract. And we'll kind of just let this thing free flow and and have ourselves a, just a regular conversation. So that's good with you. Sweet. Yeah, Nash, you go first. Oh, all right. <laughs> Nash, uh, 15 years active duty, uh, munitions systems guy by trade or ammo. Um, let's see, I got into the innovation ecosystem probably about, oh, just a little over two years ago um, at the local Spark Cell. Um, brought on by Nick Cavanaugh and Philip Berry, actually, uh, from Tesseract. Nice. Uh, those guys trained me up, got me into some human-centered design training, um, and then promptly hired me to run the Spark Cell at the Wing over at Ielsen shortly after that. Did that for about a year and a half. Uh, came on as a fellow uh, for AFWorks. Um, tried to be Dakota's fellow and got scooped up by Colonel Salinas, the division chief, to be his fellow. And apparently I did a good enough job that they asked me to stay on and be a DSE or a spark coordinator uh, for the Pacific region. And I've been doing that for just about a year now, um, trying to trying to stay on for another year and continue this. Um, when Barry went to Tesseract, um, that was right before I got hired at the wing to take his job. And him going to Tesseract really opened the door for me to come in and, you know, be an LNO um, with Tesseract and use some of the stuff that he taught me to help Tesseract uh, with their, their beginning mission and journey. Um, and since have been involved with the Tesseract team, helping out with Ethersprint, um, just really any events, the new BYOA courses that they're doing. Um, so yeah, happy to be here. Sweet. So yeah, so I'm Dakota Belcher, uh, active duty for the last 12 years. Um, so how I got involved in the innovation space is really just uh, started with CPI many, many years ago um, in Misawa, Japan. Then uh, when I PCS here to Luke Air Force Base, um, I, I was given an opportunity to be able to work in the maintenance groups, continuous improvement and innovation office. Did that. And then um, when Mass Sergeant Joe Anger left, uh, to PCS to Holloman, I um, had the opportunity to be able to move up to the Spark Cell, where I did a, a fellowship with AppWorks then, and along the same lines as Josh, um, I, I apparently did a good enough job, where they asked me to do the DSE role. Um, so I've been doing that for a little over a year now, um, loving every second of it. Um, and then how I got involved with Tesseract was AFA... In 2022, uh, I mean, the booth was right next to the AppWorks, or the Tesseract booth was right next to the AppWorks booth, and I, I just went over and started chatting with a bunch of folks, trying to figure out how I can get involved more and help out more. Um, I had some bandwidth, and I, it was something that I was passionate about. So then um, that's when it was Phil Berry was able to give me an opportunity to go to liberating structures facilitation course where I got to learn a little bit more about facilitation. Um, 
and then it really just skyrocketed from there. Um, just been helping out wherever I can. I mean, that's that's kind of like my goal is just to be a helpful individual to the ecosystem at large. So yeah, that's me. So you both guys mentioned uh, DSE positions. Can you guys go into a little bit what those are and, and what your role is where you're at? Yeah, so DSE is developmental special experience is very similar to it, like a DSD, um, except we're still out of hide, right? Like, so um, we still belong to the units that like own our overall billet. So like for me, right, like I belong to the component maintenance squadron for the billet the maintenance group tracks my training my epb falls at the wing but all of my opcon goes to afterwards so like i'm essentially an orphan and i don't know who my parents are like um yeah it's it's relatively uncertain which is like also like scary but it's also like really cool because i i've never heard of anybody doing something like this before so we kind of get to write the playbook of that um josh did i miss anything no, I mean, the DSE itself, you nailed that. Um, being an orphan is very much a good way to describe that because <laughs> we answer to many, uh, many bosses uh, that sign our paychecks uh, and allow us the opportunity to do what we do, which is something that we're both passionate about, which is awesome. It's not something you see commonly done in the Air Force. So it's really, really cool to be a part of it. Uh, for both of you then, so... Let's go back to, you know, early stages of your, uh, you know, just first inkling of trying to get into the innovation space, as we like to say, what, what really drew you into that idea? Did you know you were getting into this type of a space? And then uh, we'll go through some challenges and some awesome stuff along the way that that's kind of kept you there, because clearly there was something that sparked your interest, right, pun intended, and then something that 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 kept you into this arena that allows you to you know choose to do stuff that's it's not easy right you just described being an orphan and kind of you know picking your own direction which is which can be good and bad but um thing that you know that i've learned that i always hear from people that we when we do these chats or interviews is there's a lot of perseverance involved so uh, let's go back to the early stages of, of what got you in and, and what keeps you in the space today uh, I'll go first because Dakota has a lengthy story. Mine's not as long. <laughs> um, being 15 years uh, within my AFSC ammo, um, it's very by the book, uh, given the safety standards of dealing with explosives. Um, that limits a lot of the creativity, right? Um, you, you can't do a lot in that kind of environment uh, in terms of experimenting or failing forward, things like that, because it could be life or death. Um, that led me to try to find outlets uh, for my creative personality. Um, and when I got to Eilson, I was sitting in uh, our Right Start briefing at the theater and Nick Cavanaugh came up on stage and he said, hey, do you want to join a team of, you know, highly misfit individuals that are, you know, high ops tempo that are helping solve problems at the base? And I said, you know what, that sounds awesome. I, I want to get to know these guys and be a part of that team. Um, and I had no inclination that it was innovation, right? The buzzword or anything like that. It was just the basis of helping other people and doing something outside of my career field. Um, that's what drew me to it initially. Um, and then joining the team, learning from the guys, 
seeing this like this new environment in the Air Force that it, I had never been exposed to of these outsiders, you know, these guys that are doing stuff that is pushing that needle or kind of pushing the boundaries a little bit um, in that innovation space. That's that's what kept me into that uh, that that ecosystem. So that started my journey, um, and I just I've been chasing it ever since, learning new stuff as much as I can, and just trying to be a sponge and absorb stuff as I go. So yeah. So and then like the reason the reason why I got started in it um, is relatively simple, right? Like so I remember like twelve years ago um, when I was. Uh, straight out of tech school aircraft fuel systems right is my job um and i was so excited i was like yes i get to go work on airplanes and i'm gonna do all this really cool stuff and and then uh when i got to my very first base the the very first thing that i did for like six months was sweep and like mop hanger floors and things of that nature because that was what my value was for the organization in which i served and I can't, or I, I, I always remember like, man, the Air Force just spent so much money on training me to be able to do this trade. And now I, I'm dejected. I have to do these things that it doesn't really seem like it's warranting of like the money and the time and the effort that they've spent on me. Um, so like, I remember that feeling. So anytime I can go out of my way to be able to help somebody so that they don't have to feel that same way and they have a better quality of life and more empowerment in the job that they do um, for the reason that they joined, like I'm going to do that every single day of the week. Um, yeah, that's the I, I guess that's the real reason why I do it is like to alleviate pain. I mean, we talk about like the innovation space and like what people are doing and I think all of that is great. Don't get me wrong, but simply put, like we're just a bunch of people with a bias for action that are trying to solve problems that our Air Force has. Yeah, I love that response. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that, uh, I think you you both just like you know the more I I have these conversations and I hear from different perspectives I just love how you both articulated uh, what it's like to you know be in the space and in the journey along with it and uh, Dakota your uh, your point of just biased people trying to fix stuff uh, I think maybe that should be some some slogan somewhere uh, <laughs> describe exactly what we're all trying to do here. Yeah, I mean, when you, I don't know, the way I see it is like the simpler that I can put what I do, like when I go, like when I, I remember when I started with CPI many, many like years ago, right? Like, and like I was used to coming home and telling my wife, like I was crawling around inside a fuel tank and scraped a bunch of sealant and put more sealant back down and then it stopped the leak, right? Something, and then started with CPI and she was like, what'd you do today? And I was like, well, I calculated a standard deviation to understand the, the skew of a bell curve like she's like hold on like <laughs> you, need to, you need to put it more simply for me so like now it's like I, I i analyze data and then find ways creative ways to solve people's problems like i don't know the simpler that i can make it the, e the easier it is for the majority of the populace to understand i think that's a good point to hit on too because going back to the perseverance of like why we stay in this ecosystem and 
even though it's hard and we face a lot of trials and challenges that that motive that drive of i got to help somebody not just build a bomb or lay ceiling down like that that's what drives at least me um, i think dakota's in the same boat but that's that's what keeps us going <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's simply that right like like i said with the, the my story right like if i can alleviate that pain yeah to, help somebody be able to better execute their job that's the why right like um and i mean and maintaining a positive outlook during the entirety of that process is also necessary yeah absolutely because there's definitely challenges within the space right i know um it's easy to push uh you know marketing strategy within innovation to say you know Every airman has an idea, let's adopt it, accept it, get it through, right? But I think any time that, if anyone's ever spent any amount of time in this space, it's it's not easy to identify a problem, create a solution, and then get it implemented either at a local level or, you know, even, you know, there's even more hurdles once you try to get through a section-based, squadron-based wing or higher echelons to implement something that affects a weapon system or a career field or, or personnel at a, at a mass scale. Uh, so if you guys can, what's a, what's a project or an idea to where nearly <laughs> every turn you had was the next person telling you, no, this isn't going to work. Just on to the next. This isn't, this isn't what we need. The air force doesn't need this, but in your heart of hearts, you knew this was the thing that was going to help people out. I was just talking to one of our other DSEs this morning on the ride over to the brick here in DC about uh, that, like projects that we try really hard to get across the line and just, you can't do it, right? Like you're going to fail sometimes. Um, mine, probably the most recent one I did, because um, we shift into like more of a, a product management position doing what we do now, not so much project leads. But previously at the wing, um, the army, had developed new cold weather gear um, using aerogel and stuff like that. And they'd been chasing it for like three years. They finally got it across the line. And we came in from the Air Force. Um, I got a request from the 11th Air Force, uh, General Nahum, uh, to say, hey, why don't we have this in Alaska? Because we operate out here in the cold, right? I said, cool, let me let me run it down. Thanks for reaching out. Like, it's really cool to have a general reach out to you at a local spark cell to say, hey, solve this problem for me. So I was pumped, super excited to get after it got it um we got PACAF to give us some money uh the wing bought some we got some to test we put it out to the the units it was going great we were getting feedback all the data we needed to solidify like hey let's put this into sustainment and get it issued to the guys in alaska that need it um out in the field and then after all the support all the data everybody's like yes we need this this is amazing cold weather gear we're going to give it to everybody funding fell through and it just dropped off the radar like everybody just dropped the ball so we did all this legwork um, for a good part of like eight months to a year of just collecting data and justifying why we needed this visits going around uh, giving updates to 11th air force all this stuff and then for whatever reason it just never happened and never crossed the line due to funding um those kits are like 1500 bucks a pop and they didn't want to, they didn't want to pay for it. So. <laughs> the, 
the one that sticks out in my brain that Josh has heard me talk about a lot is Sharkhead lasers, which is an engine alignment <laughs> tool um, for F-35s, right? Like when they're removing and installing um, engines. So like uh, we had, simply put, like we had the problem where like it used to take upwards of like eight hours just to align the trailer to the aircraft. Um, so like this really cool dude, Travis Rogers, came up with um, like, why don't we just use lasers, right? Attach it to the rail, attach a receiver, and then like if it goes through the hole, you know you're aligned. Um, we said we wanted it so easy that O six would do it, so we called up Colonel Ray, who was our maintenance group commander, when <laughs> um, we made the first iteration, and we said, hey, come on out and like try to do this. Um, the very first iteration it didn't work the way that it was intended to. The lasers weren't as accurate. The, um, like, um, the polycarbonate receiver wasn't quite as big as it needed to be. But I remember Travis feeling just, like, so beat. He was, like, embarrassed that, like, Colonel Ray couldn't do it and didn't like it. And, uh, like, it, he felt very, like, embarrassed. Um, so I was like, hold on, dude, like, this is just one way that we found that does not work. There's still like infinite numbers of ways to be able to improve this, to be able to take away the pain that he once upon a time felt. So, I mean, I think it, a lot of it is like the relationships that you build with these individuals to allow them to be able to trust you to help guide them through what is a very like trying time for them because we're pushing the status quo. Right. And for the most part, the, the culture of the military is that don't do that. Like do what you're told. And if you're trying to do something different, like you're the unicorn and that's weird and <laughs> don't do that. Right. Like, um, so it's, it's a balance of building that trust and that relationship with the individual so that you can effectively guide them in the right direction, whatever that right looks like. Sorry, that was a long-winded answer. No, those are, those are both perfect uh, examples. Uh, you know, we've been having different chats with the semifinalists for the Aether Sprint um, push here as they get ready for their uh, next presentations, uh, I think either at the, in February or March. And, you know, one thing that, that a lot of them, you know, say is, you know, I'll ask how long have you been doing this project and is this something that you started or is it something that was handed off to you? And, and more often than not, you know, the, some of these ideas are two, three years in the making, right? And, and with our positions and, you know, with different ranks and stuff like that, you know, part of the, the problem is, is, you know, you're only in a, in certain situations or duty stations, two, three years, and, you know, you're out the door. And not only that, but your leadership teams are in that same type of rotation. And the next thing that you have to do is either sell yourself, sell your, sell your replacement or sell your new leadership team. Um, is there any examples that you guys have or that you've been working on in your positions to where you have to continually resell your project to where you had maybe had buy-in or didn't have buy-in before, but someone new comes in and, and either loves it, hates it. And you had to reapproach not the situation, but the leadership team. 
I don't, I can't think of a specific project, but just the continuity of enlisted members in the innovation ecosystem is a challenge, right? Like with PCSs, turnover, I mean, most of your wing commanders are what, two years maybe in a billet. So you're constantly having to like prove that value or showcase that value um, in a targeted manner that speaks to that individual. We talk about all the time about communication and like types of communication and who you're communicating to and how that is like, that can kill or, you know, keep you alive uh, essentially as a spark cell member um, at a wing level. So um, of course that affects your projects, like your portfolio for a spark cell locally to have a hundred projects that were sponsored by a previous wing commander who just walked out and now you have a new one, you have to start over. Um, and that, that could, that's a huge challenge, huge barrier for a local spark cell to stay alive and relevant. So. Yeah. And I think along the lines with like what Josh was just talking about too, right? Like commanders are charged with making data driven decisions. So like, having the data of the spark cell like present at the time that they take over like hey we've saved x amount of man hours or reduced costs by this amount of money whatever that may be having that information there and present at the point of relevancy is what also helps determine success moving forward um that eats up a lot of the spark cells time too, to have to keep this pool of data because you may have a wing commander that's, you know, red, right? Super engineer, like data driven. Then you have one that's more like connected to the end user family oriented, right? So you have to have all that data. You can't just have one type of data. You have to be able to correlate it accordingly uh, in a manner that communicates with that, that new commander or that new champion, so. Yeah. Okay, so we've talked enough difficulties. Let's let's go to the good side. Let's talk some successes here. Um, let's just I don't know, pick two or three things that that you absolutely love that you've seen either from the start or you got to see it across the finish line and how it impacts people positively now, right? Like uh, the whole like we said, let's the whole reason most of us are in this type of space to either push the messaging like myself or you guys at the more local level really in the projects what's some of the the best stuff with the with some great impacts that you've seen where you're at or that you've been involved in go go ahead dakota yeah i think so the the one that pops to my brain is the crossflow program that we run through afterwards <laughs> um that, that mike offenbacker the guy i replaced um he really like pioneered that. Um, basically, the premise of it is like get the spark cells in a particular region all together all at one time. And then we run them through different facilitation methods that then allow them to understand where they can improve as a collective populace. Um, and then that also helps with the collaboration piece of it so that like Fairchild Spark Cell isn't just like communicating by themselves. They're also working with McDill because they have the same MDS aircraft, right? Like those things matter. Um, and I think I, that's the one that I love the most, mainly because we facilitate it and I like facilitation. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's the one that I think me personally has provided the most amount of, um, value 
the ecosystem because we're talking about like human systems, not necessarily a tangible product at the end of the day. Um, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I was going to go with Crossflow as well. <laughs> um, I think the second biggest one that's not completely finished, but it's at the finish line is the training that we're, we're doing, spinning up on the portal, um, the repository of the collective data, because a lot of the spark cells came to us in those Crossflows and they're just kind of lost. They're drinking from a fire hose of information of where do we start? What do we need to know? What's design? You know, what's acquisitions? Um, these guys have great ideas and they want to be there. They're passionate about it, but they don't have any kind of pathway to to grow their knowledge base. Um, so we took the the different trainings that were out there, the different offerings that we could find um, and put them into a collective repository on the AFWORKS portal and then identified some of the key elements or the key trainings to kind of start at like, hey, you're, you're brand new to a spark cell, you're brand new to innovation. Here's some basic stuff you should know. Um, and then move on to, you know, intermediate and then expert. Um, that is, that's actually driving some of the 9i training that is being developed right now, too. So big, big win. Um, excited to see that one come online full. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, guys, as we kind of, not necessarily close up, close up, but one thing I like to <clears throat> ask everybody that, that I chat with on these is uh, you get to mentor yourself here a little bit and go back to your beginning stages of of when you even think you want to join whatever this space is that we call it what's the thing that you're going to tell yourself that the person you are now would want to know <laughs> yeah so i'm talking to past me past you yeah you get to go talk to Pat and give them one one token of future that they need to carry with them that would have helped you out. We should do it for each other, Dakota. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Let's try that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll give. So if I were to do it for Josh, right, I would say um, positive minded attitudes are necessary in order to be successful. Yeah, I can be a because I, I love Josh <laughs> so much. But man, the, the pessimistic side of things sometimes comes out. And that's not a bad thing, though, either, right? Like, having a pessimist in the room is extremely beneficial in order to understand, like, realistically what hurdles you're probably going to have to jump through, right? Like, why you're going to have to validate something. Um, but I would say, like, positive-minded attitude. Yeah, for sure. It's funny for context me and dakota have been working together for well over a year now like side by side facilitating you get to know each other a lot when you're in those environments um so yeah i he says pessimist i say realist um i like to be connected to reality and that comes off negative to his super empathetic mind because he wants to be everybody's friend um i like to call a horse a horse when it's a horse you know like <laughs> so uh if I had to pick one thing to tell Dakota back in the beginning, um, man, that's a tough one. Dakota's a well-rounded dude. Um, I would say it's okay to not be as empathetic uh, in the right scenarios. Like there's a point where you have to like turn that off and, you know, get, get things done. Um, 
you can't always consider everybody's point of view when like you have time like time is of the essence you got to get something done right now or achieve a goal um you can come back and do the the empathy portion of it later so that would that would be mine yeah i, I get that. that i love that you guys uh, can your own personalities <laughs> yeah, like we, like, yeah yeah we know each other pretty well um yeah I, I think it. that's why we work so well together is he's the he's the uppity like let's be friends which is good right i need more of that in my life and i'm the down to earth kind of hey this is dumb let's not do it you know like, <laughs> <laughs> and then i turn around and say like just because it's dumb now doesn't mean that it's going to be dumb forever so like what is the pathway to yes versus yeah just sure. saying no it's it's a really really cool dynamic and i wish i could like pass it on to other people because the amount of understanding we have for each other and awareness means that we never really argue about things we always see it from each other's perspective which means we always get along somehow <laughs> somehow somehow <laughs> you know it's kind of been a theme as we've been talking is the the human element to all of this and you guys just re-brought it up in in your working relationship and clearly friendship that you guys have established how have how have you guys improved yourselves in that arena or where, what surprised you as far as coming in here and realizing if i'm better with people i'm better at this job and that was that just for innovation and, and have you taken that throughout your careers that was a huge oh, one for me yeah yeah like learning from dakota to be more empathetic and not go into a room and be like hey guys this is stupid you know like <laughs> i'm a blunt person um and i've had to dial that back a little bit to to be an effective communicator and those are traits that i learned from you know interacting with dakota and being around him and seeing what he's accomplished using the other side of that communication skill so yeah and i think like for me like i haven't always been empathetic right like definitely yeah. have not been um like being in an aircraft maintenance type of career field is empathy is normally not the first thing that people lead with. Uh, I'm not <laughs> saying always, right. That would be a gross generalization of an entire population. I'm not doing that. Um, but like, I think it's you, the, what is the saying you went or you attract more flies with honey or something like that. Right. Like that's what, that's what we're essentially trying to do. It isn't that we're trying to be like, disingenuous or anything like that but i'm trying to just be genuinely authentic with everything that i talk about and that doesn't mean that like empathy is like unicorns and fairy tales right like it it just means that i'm just trying to best understand that individual's point of view um so that i can figure out the best way to help them um because uh, what I've found is that the majority of the time that people have something to complain about, it isn't for no reason. It's about helping them understand where their true root of their issue is so that, and with doing that with empathy and I mean, yeah, no, I don't know. I just like talking to people. I think so. it came from a lot of the facilitation we do like convergent, divergent thinking 
requires you to be empathetic and connect with an individual or like view it from their perspective. Cause I can't, I can't lead somebody through a facilitation practice if I can't connect with them at, at some level. Right. I don't have to know their whole life story, but I have to understand some of their emotions and feelings to help navigate through those tools um, to get to a problem validation or, you know, refine an idea, whatever it may be. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, especially because that's the very first step of the design thinking model, right? It's like empathy. It just yeah. makes it, it it makes it a lot easier. It also, once again, like builds trust with those individuals, mitigates risk, um, and allows for failure a little bit easier. Like yeah. empathy does so much. Yeah, it does so much for how quickly you're able to move through a problem to get to a solution yeah and that correlates to like all levels in the air force leadership wise like if i go into an 06 meeting and you know i go in with empathy versus hey this is my idea and you're gonna like it you know versus hey what are your pain points let me help you oh by the way i may already have a solution for this totally different approach and totally different outcomes yeah yeah i love it all right, guys, as we wrap up here now, uh, last question towards for you. Um, what would your message be to anyone who thinks they want to try to get into this space or this is something that they think they want to be involved in? Either direct that to a young you or a young airman or even an, an older airman that is, you know, tired of maybe just doing, like you said, Nash, their whole career has been, here's the TO, let me follow it by the book. Or, and they have a little bit of, of a creative itch that they want to get into. How would you... Uh, sell getting them into the space and, and seeing what they can do i think it's i think there's two things right um character type you have to be very passionate about this because as we've talked about there are going to be a lot of you know roadblocks a lot of challenges a lot of things that are going to make you want to quit um the innovation space so if you're not passionately driven by something internally to be in this space and to follow that drive eventually you're going to burn out um even us that are passionately driven we burn out we have to take breaks right because it's a lot um that drinking from the fire hose analogy applies across the board um i think the second thing is um there's if, if you never accept risk there's no reward right? Like you, you have to roll the dice. You have to be willing to fail forward um, and accept that failure is part of the process. Um, you're, you're going to get it wrong 99 times until you get it right that one time. So that would be the thing, like accept the risk, keep moving out. And if you're passionate about it, follow it, like keep that drive. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And I would just say like, if, it, if there was an airman that like walked into this park, right. And wanted to figure out how to get involved, like, just, just go get involved, ask how you can help. Um, even if you're not that like innovator, so to speak, like it doesn't mean that you won't ever be, but surrounding yourself with projects like these, with people like these, that allows you to start like thinking more creatively to be able to solve problems. And there, there may be problems that you haven't even identified because you you haven't allowed your brain to like expand beyond what we currently know um and i think that's super necessary is to just be around just just go in and walk in and see how how you can help um or if you have an idea 
bring it up, like start questioning things, like and just be disruptive in a in a positive <laughs> way. I love it. Well, guys, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time today to uh, to chat with me. Um, I know everybody's got a little bit going on and schedules don't always align. So uh, to get three, four of us, CYC, I see you over there uh, on a chat <laughs> and to be able to, to talk about this and get this message out and really just, you know, <clears throat> push forward what what we do in this space and, you know, what it actually does versus the idea we just see an email or a different marketing thing and we just think it's the next innovation thing we'll push it aside everybody's doing something but real people trying to solve real problems to to truly impact the air force and, and that's what it's really about so again just thank you and uh thanks to the tesseract team for allowing us to uh to have these conversations Any references to trademarked, copyrighted, or protected products or services such as books, movies, or businesses are used here for the limited purpose of education and professional development of Air Force Airmen. If you have any questions, please contact us at www.tesseract.af.mil.